This reading is from Psalm 2 and is found on page 384 of your Pew Bibles. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. And our second reading is found on page 846. It's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 4. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For for if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, 
How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Jane. Let me uh, add my words of welcome. It's great that uh, we can join here on this, uh, this day. It's a, a long weekend, a chance for a bit of extra rest. Uh, it's great to take some time out and hear from God who provides real rest, uh, full rest. I'm going to pray that God uh, would assist us to understand him, so let's pray now. Lord and Father, we uh, thank you that you have spoken You spoke in Christ and you continue to speak as your spirit works through your word and applies it to our hearts and minds. Father, we pray that your spirit would powerfully work this morning, finding even the recesses of our hearts and minds that don't think like you and that your spirit would change them. Father, please be reforming us to be more and more the image of your glorious and wonderful son. We pray this in his name. Amen. I encourage you to have that uh, passage from Hebrews open still. It's fair to say when it comes to God that there's no shortage of divergent opinions to be found. So the tiny minority of atheists, about 150 million of them, uh, would say that there's no God. Uh, In contrast, if you ask the 700 million or so Hindus, they would say actually there's hundreds of gods Uh, And we keep finding more of them. In between there is those who are settled on one God. Though the billion Muslims' understanding of him is very different to the the third of the world who claim to be Christian. Uh, This has left plenty of thoughtful people wondering, why doesn't God make himself clearer? And perhaps you've wondered that yourself. Why doesn't God communicate a little more clearly? Our society is big on the importance of clear communication. Uh, So from letters to phones to mobiles to texting to email to blogging to Twitter, you know, we want communication all the time to be quicker and sharper and easier and probably with less content. Uh, You know, I had the internet collapse halfway through the week and it reminded me just how much I value both clear communication but also how dependent I am on technology for it. But of course, it's more than just the form it comes in, how much we love and delight and value communication. We have a whole system of commerce that that, uh, has created and spends huge sums of money on clear, persuasive advertising campaigns because communication matters. You know, politicians understand the, the value of communication, e- even to the soundbite. Uh, hence, no one in government a few weeks ago uh, could say the word billions in the same sentence as a number that was attached to deficit. Uh, you know, in preparing people for marriage, uh, one major thing I talk to uh, people about is clear communication, you know, using tools like you know, assertive speech and, and active listening so the process of communication goes better even if you're not married, so much of uh, our relational stress, even with our friends, bubbles over because we've miscommunicated. Well, what about God? Has he not grasped this? Doesn't he get it? Is pluralism evidence that God's unclear? Where's the city delight in multiculturalism? 
Uh, my eight-year-old children this week even had multicultural, multiculturalism and tolerance on their spelling list. I'm kind of thinking, I don't think I engage with those words in year three. Uh, you know, I, I do think it is a great thing that we can have you know, Hindus, Buddhists, agnostics, Muslim, Christians, atheists, all neighbours not resorting to violence to resolve differences. That kind of tolerance is a great thing. But it's led some people to think that God's communication is perhaps vague, distorted, absent. Does God value clear communication in the same way that we value it? Well, the bold assertion that the letter to the Hebrews starts with is that God does and even more. God has spoken, he has spoken finally and he has spoken clearly and he has spoken definitively in his son, the Lord Jesus. And that means the onus is actually on us to delight in that knowledge and to not presume on it. As Andrew hinted at the start of uh, our service, over the coming weeks we will be looking at the book of Hebrews. Uh, in, in the end of the book, in 13, chapter 13, verse 12, the writer finishes, Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written you only a short letter. Um, perhaps by the end of 10 or so weeks of looking at this letter, you may not think it's so short. Uh, it's a letter written for encouragement. It's to encourage Christians who are just feeling a little stagnant or, or perhaps, even worse, thinking, you know, I might just pack that whole Christian life in. You know, it's just a bit hard to keep going at the moment. And he writes this letter to, to encourage people, you keep sticking with Jesus because, put simply, it's just better with him. He's better with him. Um, Twelve times in the letter he uses the word better or superior, but even more than that, he has a variety of illustrations to keep pointing out that in Jesus things are better. You have what is superior, you have the best. So if you have doubts about uh, the value of following Jesus or if you're just feeling like at the moment you're treading water as a Christian, uh, Hebrews is clear. In Jesus you have a better way. Don't accept any substitute but delight in it. Engage with him. Seek after him. And the exhortation begins by pointing out God's better form of communication. That God has spoken finally and clearly. Have a look again at verse 1. In the past, God has spoken. Uh, God, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, the days we live in now, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. And after he'd provided purification for sins, he, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he has become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. God has always spoken. So uh, creation itself is an act of God's powerful speech. And after creation, God didn't leave people ignorant of him, but he spoke. Verse 1 points out how God revealed himself in lots of ways, in lots of places, a variety of times through his servants, the prophets. But now, now in these last days, God's given his final word through his son. Uh, sonship's a big issue, both in Psalm 2 and also, which is quoted here in Hebrews 1, also through Hebrews 1. Uh, it's important that you remember sonship, when we talk biblically, uh, is, 
hardly ever about biology. Uh, it's much more about the sense of a copied character and authority. It's, it's much more the like father, like son concept than it is about DNA. So Jesus, the son, is God's clear word. Uh, it, it's clear because we've done away with the potential distortion that can happen when you get a, a kind of substandard person who isn't a great copy, a great son, a great image of God. The prophets, they were servants of God, but Jesus... Jesus bears the likeness of God. It's much clearer, that closer connection. We, and we, in those opening verses, we get taken a flow through that, that Jesus is the eternal son, he is the incarnate son, that means he's become flesh like us, and that he's gone back up to be the exalted son. And God has spoken clearly to us through that. So as the eternal son, um, he's the heir of all things. He'll inherit absolutely everything. He's not created He's a co-creator with God. He made and sustains the world. He, you can't separate the Son from the Father. They're synonymous. They're inseparable. They're, they are an, he is an exact representation. The language used in verse 2 um, picks up an idea in Proverbs 8. Um, jot it down if you feel like it. Look up Proverbs 8 later. Proverbs 8 talks about divine wisdom, that when God made the world right next to him, uh, was divine wisdom. Wisdom was the, the kind of craftsman by the Father's side. And after talking about wisdom's involvement uh, in creation, the, Proverbs 8 finishes this way. Now then, my sons, listen to me. That's wisdom speaking. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me. Now, that is, when God speaks through uh, the eternal son, wisdom, it's going to be insightful, isn't it? Yeah, it's from the one who actually made and understands how we work. It's going to be a better word because it comes clearly through that one who made us. And so it pays to listen. Blessing and life will flow from his instruction. And the, and the writer moves us through to the incarnate son. That is, Jesus came and lived like us. In verse 3, he provided purification for our sins. He died for us. Yet God's word in Christ is going to be gracious and it's going to be accessible. There, there is a natural divide between us as weak humans and the glorious mighty God. But, but that has been bridged in Jesus being one of us. And God's clear revelation of himself in Jesus is, is a word from one who actually understands us and one who we can relate to. Uh, Hebrews is going to pick that up more in a couple of chapters' time. But he hasn't just died, he's, he's been exalted once more. Uh, he's there at the, in, at the end of verse 3, seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Yeah, he shares with the authority of God. He speaks with the authority of God. When God speaks through Jesus, he speaks with complete authority as the one who rules and the one that you and I will give an account to. God has always spoken, but he has spoken in the person and work of Jesus in such a clear, final and better way that any kind of vagueness or distortion is at our end, not his. John Dixon wrote a book, um, If I Were God, I'd Make Myself Clearer. It's a good book. Uh, take you about 20 minutes to read. Um, so if you want to get you know, more books notched up for this year, grab a copy and read it. 
Uh, he recalls a conversation he had at a, a party on a boat in Pitwater. Uh, he was chatting to a woman whose uh, husband had received a promotion, which meant that you know they're a little more secure in paying off their mortgage on a place in the northern beaches. Uh, the kids were now at school, and, and so she had more time for leisure and, and hobbies as well. Hesitantly, she said to him, but, you know, sometimes I really wonder if I'm meant to be experiencing more, you know, uh, some sort of larger spiritual dimension to my life. Now, clearly, he's kind of ears picked up and I'm sure his eyes kind of widened and he was ready to leap on that. Uh, of course, she added, uh, I, I don't want to talk about it. I'm really not that interested in it all. Conversation over. Uh, Bono, the, uh, the lead singer of uh, U2, told Rolling Stone magazine this about his peers in rock and roll. I don't know anyone who's not interested in the idea of religion, whether they're opposed to it or for it, uh, yet no one talks about it. It's taboo. People will talk about penis rings easier at a dinner table these days than the idea of grace. Uh, it's a little crass, but it drives home the point, doesn't it? Yeah, the, God has spoken clearly in his son. The problem is not the lack of access, but a lack of willingness for people to even speak or accept what he says. You know, I chatted to a guy this week, he has a Bible, I, I checked that detail, uh, but he's never really opened it. And God has spoken clearly, um, but do people listen? And that's not just a warning for people out there, it's for us as Christians. Uh, and if we do, as I trust many of us here today do, uh, if we do think that Jesus is the clear final word, there's a challenge for us to help shift that culture, isn't it? To, to be the people who speak about the, to, the real taboo topics, to, topics like grace, like forgiveness, like the Lord Jesus and his return. To make spirituality and conversations about it a normal kind of thing to do. Because God's communication in Jesus is actually better. It is the very best. Um, skimming through the rest of chapter 1, the writer goes on to talk about how, how God has spoken spectacularly. He's spoken in a way that's better than the angels, which perhaps for us is not a knockdown argument. <laughs> uh, if angels aren't part of your framework, then the kind of comparative argument he's about to use is just going to leave you fairly cold. You know, all, all comparative arguments work best with good competition. You know, the, I've never quite understood sledging. I kind of figure, you know, putting down the opposition doesn't make you look nearly as spectacular if you win. Uh, rather, talk them up and then still beat them and you look even better. Uh, in the same way, the, the winners of our iHeart Curability competition are all the more impressive because if you made it to the exhibition, um, all the artworks were actually of a really high standard. It made the winner look even better. And the writer is going on to say how, how great Jesus is because he's comparing his superiority to angels. And angels, we should be thinking already, are spectacular. If you don't know a lot about angels, angels literally, it, it's just a word for messenger. Uh, but the ones referred to here aren't just kind of Australia post workers. You know, the, in scripture, um, angels are also variably called sons of God. Uh, they're called holy ones. They are called spirits. They are called princes. They are called hosts, as in um, not hosting a dinner party, but they're an army. You know, these spiritual beings get to sit in the council of God and they, they represent God to humanity. Uh, and when they do turn up, when we have records in the Bible of them turning up uh, in, a, in an obvious manner, the first words they need to speak to people are, do not be afraid. 
because people fall down in fear and they're frightened. And you know, these are awesome creatures who worship in the presence of God and they're not destroyed by the holiness of God. And, and they serve him carrying messages and engaging in, in heavenly warfare. We need to not underestimate their power. Marie Monson, a Norwegian missionary in North China last century, about 50 years ago, tells a story of angelic forces coming to her aid. So looting soldiers had surrounded her mission compound. They had flimsy defences. But despite that, those who sought refuge in the camp were safe. A few days later, the marauders, they obviously engaged with them, explained that as they'd sought to enter the camp, they saw these tall soldiers with shining faces high on the roof of the camp. And it filled them with fear. Monson concluded this, the heathen saw them, it was testimony to them, but they were invisible to us. It came powerfully to me and showed me how little we reckon with the Lord God of hosts, who sends forth his angels mighty in strength to do service for the sake of them that shall inherit salvation. She's kind of quoting from verse 14 there. You know, we don't talk a whole lot about angels or spiritual realities. Maybe it's because we are, we are so well trained and so confident that Jesus is that superior, we don't bother talking about the angels. Or it might be that we've kind of bought into a, the non-spiritual worldview of modern Australia. Now, I must confess that um, even though Monson's story is remarkably like an incident that happened to Elisha and the people of God in 2 Kings 6, if you don't know what happened in 2 Kings 6, that's the other one you've got to jot down and look up later. Um, I believe it wholeheartedly what happened there in 2 Kings 6 and, and yet I think I struggle with her story uh, to kind of fit it into my framework of how angels act now to protect persecuted Christians. And yet... If you don't have a big and active view of angels, then the logic of Hebrews 1, the splendour of Hebrews 1, the amazement of God's final word in Christ is always going to be clouded to you. But on the other hand, if you leave this morning amazed at the greatness of angels, you've missed the point. Be amazed at the Son. He is better, He is superior to the angels in so many ways. So in verse 4, he's got a better name. Uh, That is, the angels have the title of messenger, Jesus has the title of the son. Uh, Verse 6, he has a better honour, there's a greater dignity. So angels, yes, they're feared by us, but the angels actually bow down in worship to the son. Uh, In verse 7 and and following there, uh, the son has a better nature and authority. So the the angels are kind of um, temporary nature, like wind, flame, uh, unlike the son who's God himself. You know, the angels might inhabit the heavenly realms, but it's the Son who rules it. Uh, in verse 10 and following, he does, Jesus does a better work. You know, the angels are creatures, but, but the Son is the agent of creation. In the last one in verse 13 and 14, the Son has, has made a better achievement. The Son brings a salvation that actually spells the, the humiliation of his enemies, whereas angels just serve the saved. Angels are spectacular, greater in power than you or I, and yet they are nothing compared to the sun. And God has spoken in that way, clearly and powerfully. Yet we can actually know God for who he is, 
God has spoken this better way, this better word. Wouldn't it be great for our world to know that? To clear up the vagueness. And certainly means something for us this morning, doesn't it? We have to pay careful attention. Uh, Start of chapter 2. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? You know, in a multi-faith society, uh, and you've got to remember that I suppose the most powerful idol and religion in our society is wealth and comfort and self-satisfaction. You know, there are lots of gods who are asking us to listen to them, pay more careful attention to them. And, and knowing what our hearts are like, that we're so quick to move to distraction, you know, like that woman on the boat who kind of you know, had a sense that you know, maybe there's something more spiritual but I don't want to talk about it, I'm not that interested. Knowing, knowing our hearts can be like that. The issue for us today is not, has God communicated clearly, but am I going to listen to his magnificent word? So we have the best revelation in Jesus and, and the temptation is always there to think uh, maybe the grass is greener somewhere else. You know, the, the word used in verse 1 for paying more careful attention um, is a great little word. Uh, it can also be used in the sense of mooring a ship. And so there's a, a particular commentator, a guy called William Barclay, gives a vivid retranslation of, um, of this opening. He says this, Therefore we must more eagerly anchor our lives to the things that we have been taught, lest the ship of life drift past the harbour and we be wrecked. Uh, he adds a nice helpful illustra- uh, observation that for most of us the threat of life is not so much that we're going to plunge into disaster, but that we should drift. Drift just slowly and gently into sin. There are a few people who deliberately uh, and in a moment turn their backs on God but there are many who day by day just drift farther and farther away from him. I'm sure you've seen them. And perhaps it's you. Yeah, that, that water imagery is, is really helpful. I'm, I'm uh, not a sailing person, um, but I was down by the water the other day with the kids. Uh, I realised that on water it's impossible to stay still. You know, that you're always being moved and up and down. Either you're kind of coming closer into shore or where you're moored or you're being pushed further away. The writer of the letter sees the same situation going on. You notice he only gives two active options in those opening verses of chapter 2. Either actively we're paying more careful attention or I suppose we're passively drifting away. It's so tempting for us to live off the fat of what we learnt about Christ in the past rather than paying more careful attention. You know, think that we can stand still. But they're the options. You're either drawing more closely to Christ or you're drifting further and further away. You know, as I think about kind of our broader church community and our congregation here, I think I see both in different people. You know, I see there are people who are growing in their hunger to know Jesus. But I also see people who are content and drifting. I don't know how you see yourself, but you need to ask that question. Because it's not just about growing in knowledge, is it? It's about obedience. That's what verse 2 and 3 are pointing out. It's about obedience to the message. 
a while ago, um, I was dealing with two guys pastorally. Uh, both had a strong Christian foundation. Uh, both had, at points in their life, wandered. Uh, both knew exactly what Jesus taught and what Jesus had done on the cross to give them life. Both were wanting to kind of come back in, uh, back closer to God. Both were living with their unbelieving girlfriends. Both of them could tell me, I didn't have to kind of raise it with them, both of them could tell me that they didn't think this was the kind of lifestyle Jesus had saved them to live. One decided to break up with his girlfriend because he wasn't prepared to marry her. It was costly. Uh, The other kept going with his arrangement, never raising with the girl that um, he wasn't going to marry her, but also he didn't raise with her, he didn't think it was really right. Uh, The one who broke up, as far as I know, uh, he is growing stronger in the Lord and continues to listen carefully to Jesus. Uh, The other one has drifted from Christian fellowship and I suspect drifted from Christ. And there's an alarming warning there in verse 3, and for us. Judgment is a reality. If that lesser word spoken through the angels required obedience, how much more the better word, the final word, through his son. Universalism is a a belief that everyone will go to heaven, irrelevant of how they treat Christ. Um, It's called by some people the godly heresy. That is, you know, wouldn't we all long for everyone to be there? But the writer of Hebrews doesn't leave things ambiguous or uncertain. Uh, We who are saved are saved from real and genuine peril. Uh, Jesus' work of salvation is not not showmanship, it's not pageantry. He didn't just die to rescue people from something that they weren't in danger of. But there is no escape if we ignore that salvation that offers in Christ. Communication matters. Clear communication matters. God knows it and he has made himself clear. God has spoken in his son. What do we do? Let's pay more careful attention to him. Let's be thankful that in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. Let's pray. Lord and Father, we thank you for the better word that you speak in your son. We thank you for him who was eternally with you, the one who has come and lived amongst us and now seated by your side. We thank you that in him we can know you truly and clearly and plainly. Uh, Father, help us to be people who pay more careful attention to him, that we would grow in our knowledge of him and that we would combine that with obedience. And Father, we pray for our world that is uh, so confused about what you have said uh, that you and your mercy would allow them to hear your word and your son clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.